Well, if you have your Bible tonight, turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 17. John chapter 17. We'll come back to the passage for a moment, and then we'll, um, we'll look at a few other passages this evening. Come back to the passage we began looking at this morning. And there are many ways the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are seen to be one in the Bible. Uh, specifically tonight, I want to deal with what we can know from the Bible that points to the oneness of God the Father and God the Son. So let's look first at John 17, beginning at verse 11. Follow along as I read through verse 13, where Jesus is praying, continuing his prayer, which began with verse 1 of chapter 17. Verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." So what can we know from the Bible that points to the oneness of God the Father and God the Son? We saw it in verse 11 when Jesus prayed that they may be one even as we are one. What can we know from the Bible that points to this oneness even as we are one, this oneness between the Father and the Son. And then, uh, before we're finished tonight, because Jesus prays here for the unity of those who are his disciples, and that's you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, if you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus, what does this oneness between the Father and the Son teach us about the oneness of those who follow Jesus Christ? So we'll get there tonight also. So first of all, What does the Bible show us about the oneness between the Father and the Son? And then, and what does it teach us about the oneness of those who follow Jesus Christ as Jesus prays for that? So first of all, what pointers do we have from the Bible that reveal the oneness of the Son and the Father? We know that Jesus is, and we we hear this in Scriptures, it's actually in Colossians 1.15, that Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. I'm thinking about that. Uh, Terry shared the update from Bible Club this week from the little boy who said, I want, you know, I, um, Terry had said, if you've trusted Jesus, you only need to do that once. You only need to believe once. But you might want to tell, tell God that you want to live for him. So he said, yeah, I want to do that. I haven't done that. I want to tell God that I want to live for him. So that's really, that's really exciting. And we praise God for that. And then later uh, she said, he asked, can God breathe underwater? Well, God is a spirit, so God doesn't need to breathe underwater, right? But that, that little fellow doesn't need to know that, or he wouldn't necessarily understand it at, I think, six years old, I think she said. But Jesus is the image of the invisible 
God. God is invisible because it's a spirit. But, but Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, if Jesus had to, he could breathe underwater. John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the image of God revealed to mankind in human flesh. Back to that Colossians 1.15 passage where it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So not only, Jesus is not only God in flesh, but Jesus is also the very nature of God. And that very nature revealed to mankind. And we ought to be thankful that God is gracious to do that, to send the Lord Jesus Christ to reveal himself to mankind and reveal his very nature to us in the living, breathing, walking on earth, sinless Jesus Christ, who went to Calvary for sinners. And one of the ways in which Jesus reveals the nature of God is in his righteousness, that sinlessness. That's one of the ways Jesus, God the Son, is seen as one with God the Father. God is sinless. Jesus is sinless. That's one of the ways that oneness is seen. He is the image of God in righteousness and truth. And speaking of truth, that, that John 1.14 passage, the Word became flesh. Jesus is truth. He's the embodiment of truth. He declares truth. He speaks truth. He proclaims truth. His life is truth. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John 1 and verse 18, just a few verses later, gives the same truth we hear in that Colossians 1 passage in another way, saying this, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, speaking of Jesus, He has made Him known. Jesus has made God the Father known. Only Jesus could do that. Only the one who's one with the Father could do that. The only God. Who, who's that? The only God who is at the Father's side? That's, did you hear that? The only God who is at the Father's side? The, I'll say it again. The only God that is at the Father's side is Jesus. John 14, verse 9, we see this encounter between Jesus and Philip. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I'm, I'm the representation of God the Father on earth, says Jesus to Philip. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here's one more. It says 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ reveals the Father. There's that oneness seen between God the Father and God the Son. And so Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and he is 
uh, about making the Father known. And as he does, we see the Son and the Father and their oneness. They are one. We also know that Jesus came to do the Father's will. Here's uh, something else that points to the oneness of God the Father and God the Son. Jesus came to do the Father's business, the Father's will. For that, uh, for that, let's go back to John chapter 6. If you're in John's Gospel, you can go back to John chapter 6 and verse 37 for a moment. Here's what we heard when, when Jesus says there, and we studied this some time ago, John 6. Here's what we hear Jesus say, John 6, verse 37 and following, All that the Father gives me will come to me, And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And verse 40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That John chapter 6 and verses 37 through 40. So there's a lot going on there in that passage, but one thing is for certain, and Jesus says it here. He has come to do the Father's will. He is carrying out the Father's Business and he is following the Father's orders. But note also what he says about where he's come from. Where has Jesus come from? Verse 38 For I have come down from heaven. Now, who was he there with? Who was he there with? He was there with God the Father. He also says in verse 37 that all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And then in verse 39, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And then in verse 40, we hear him say this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. What does all of that point to? And I repeated those passages because they're, they make an important point for us to understand about the unity of God the Son and God the Father. What does all of this point to? It points to his oneness with God because it reveals that he comes from the Father to do the Father's will, and He Himself serves with the same power as God the Father. And that points to the oneness of God the Father and God the Son. You look to the Son and believe, and you will be raised up by the Son. He's got the power of God. Who can have the power of God? God, and only God. That's the power of God in the Son, and that's the oneness of the Son with the Father. Note also that Jesus gives the words to his disciples that uh, the Father had given him to say. The words, the teaching. 
We saw this earlier in John 17 and verse 8. If you want to go back to John 17, look at verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, or believed the words, they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. What are the disciples believing? They're, it's The light's beginning to dawn on them. They're, they're believing that Jesus is who he said he is. They're also believing that Jesus is God in human flesh. We can see the oneness of the Son with the Father in that he has the very words of God. The Lord Jesus Christ sent with the very teachings, the very words of God. The light, the truth, the light revealing, life giving truth of God, revealed by God the Son. That's a truth we heard back in John, all the way in, back in chapter 3, in verse 33, where it says, Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this that God is true. So this is true because Jesus gives the words the Father has given him. And God is revealed in the Son. And God is revealed as true when the Son gives the words of the Father and they are received. They are received. Those words that Jesus gives from the Father, those words are received. And that oneness in God the Father and God the Son is revealed. Peter saw a glimpse of it when he said in John chapter 6 and verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He says to Jesus, where, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So he saw a glimpse of this. Those words of eternal life that Jesus brings also make clear that he and the Father are one. We know also that Jesus is the head of the church. And the church is called the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23 says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Talking about God the Father and God the Son. And he, God the Father, put all things under his feet, God the Son, and gave him as head over, the, over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, again and again, there's the oneness of Jesus Christ, God the Son, with God the Father. And we can see it again there in that Ephesians passage in that he is the head of the church and the church is the body of Christ. Jesus Christ, the head of the church. That can only be carried out by God. And Jesus is, is that. Jesus is God. And then in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, we hear this powerful statement. Acts 20 and verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, you may be very familiar with that passage, but I want to encourage you to listen to it carefully again. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care, listen to this, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. This is instruction, obviously, about caring for the church. But there's a foundational and very important theological truth proclaimed in this statement. Care for the church, care for the flock. This instruction is so important. But there's something very important here. You're caring for the church of God. The church is God's. And, it says, he obtained it by his own blood. What does that tell us about who the church belongs to? The church belongs to Jesus Christ. The church is God's, of course, which he obtained with his own blood. Wait a minute. God? Obtained it with his own blood? Who shed his blood for the church? The Lord Jesus Christ did. And that's the oneness of the Son with the Father. We know, too, that Jesus Christ is our mediator. We saw a glimpse of this last week when we noted that Jesus Christ intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. We can also hear it in Romans 8 and verse 34 where we find these words, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Now what is Jesus doing for us there? Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus is pleading our case to the Father. Jesus is at the Father's right hand, and he's pleading our case. And, and we heard this back when we studied in John chapter 16, verse 23, when Jesus says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And then down a couple of verses to verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you, to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Again and again and again, there are these pointers to the oneness of the Son with the Father as we're reminded that he came from God, and those who pray in his name, that is, according to God's will, you, you have the authority to pray in Jesus' name if you're praying according to God's will, which he shows us in his word. So learn to pray as you read the word. Read the word, learn to pray, and pray according to God's will, and ask for God's will to be done, and you can pray in Jesus' name. And those who pray according to God's will have the answers that come from God the Father because they believe in the Son. Because your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your hope is in Him alone. And then we also know from here in chapter 17 that all that the Father has are the Son's. We've heard that, of course. And all that the, uh, the Son has are the Father's. There in verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. So, Repeatedly, we're seeing this unity of the Father and the Son in that 
in this case, all whom the Father possesses are the sons. All the sons are the fathers. And note also that Jesus says here, and I am glorified in, in them. How is Jesus glorified in those who believe? And how might that point to the oneness of the Father and the Son? Go back up to verses 1 and 2 in John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So Jesus prays here. This is the very beginning of his prayer in chapter 17. Jesus prays here, and it's time for the Son to be glorified, it mean, meaning it's time for Jesus to go to the cross. And then it's time for him to die. And it's time to, for him to be buried. It's time for him to be resurrected. It's time for him to be glorified as he ascends to heaven. That's, that's the time that he's talking about. And those who believe in him, those who believe in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, glorify him and point to the truth that he comes from the Father. But note also the authority that's his from the Father to to give eternal life. This wonderful gift of forgiveness of sins and being made right with God, being reconciled to God, something that we cannot do on our own that only Jesus can do as he intercedes for us and takes our place on the cross. And this authority that's his from the Father to give eternal life, who gives eternal life here? It's Jesus. Who has the power to give eternal life? Only God. Only God. And note that it's to all whom the Father has given to the Son that he gives eternal life. And then we hear this in verse 3, John 17 again still, which is one more indicator of the oneness of the Son with the Father. John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Why do they need to know Jesus Christ if God is the only true God? Well, they need to know Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is God. Now, (laughs) uh, overwhelming evidence for the oneness of the Father and the Son. But how should all of that truth affect our oneness with each other? As followers of Christ, as the body of Christ, Jesus prays, as we heard in our passage today, he prays for our unity that we would be one. How should all of this truth affect our oneness with one another as followers of, as believers in Jesus Christ, as a part of the body of Christ, under the head who is Christ? How does knowing all of this about the oneness of the Father and the Son help us as Jesus prayed that they may be one even as we are one? And I would offer to you one word, um, but I won't stop with this one word because I'm going to explain just a little bit. Be careful of the preacher who says just one word. But let me explain. Uh, The one word is this. How should this affect 
our oneness. It is for followers of Jesus Christ to, this one word is, believe. Believe. We must believe the truth. We will not obey the truth if we do not believe the truth. We will not practice the truth if we do not believe the truth. We will not pursue truth in God's Word if we do not believe that this is God's Word. So one word, believe. We must believe God's Word. He's been so gracious to give us His Word. We must believe it. And that one word, believe, has a lot of implications for us. Let me just share with you just a few implications of the truths that I've shared with you already about the oneness between God the Father and God the Son and the implications for us as followers of Jesus Christ, a part of God's church. If we believe that Jesus is the image of God, then we will want to obey Him and become more like our Savior. If we believe that Jesus is the one who reveals God and makes Him known, the one who came as the Word made flesh and gave Himself for sinners so that we could be made right with God, so that we could, by the power of God at work in us, with the Spirit, learn to say no to temptation. I will not do that. That would dishonor my Savior. If we believe that Jesus is the image of God, then we're going to want to obey Him and become more like Him. Note, I didn't say that we're going to always obey Him and never sin. Because that's going to be difficult, the side of heaven. We will, we will dishonor God at times. But our desire should be to please the Lord and to pursue the truth of God's Word so that He will build us up with wisdom and knowledge and understanding so that along the way, as we obey more and more, He strengthens our obedience muscles. <laughs> so if we believe that Jesus is the image of God, then we will want to obey Him and become more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we believe that Jesus came to do the Father's will then this goes right along with obedience, then we will want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and be about the will of our Heavenly Father, revealed to us in, in our Bibles. And if we believe that Jesus brings the very words of God, then we're going to want to trust His words in every area of our lives. And we need to trust His words in every area of our lives. We need His word to saturate our heart and our soul so that come what may, day or night, whatever day of the week it is, whatever kinds of situation, our hope is in God. And we have confidence because of His word, His promises. So if we believe that Jesus brings the very words of God, then we're going to want to trust in His word and believe His word and allow His Word to change us from the inside out as God intends. Not according to our plan for how we want to change, but according to God's plan who knows best how we need to change. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and the church is the body of Christ, we're going to want to be a part of His church. We're going to want to be part of the body of Christ. We're going to want to gather with other believers. Now, you may not feel like it every Sunday. But especially on those Sundays, 
are the Sundays you really do need to be with the body of Christ. If we believe that Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church, we ought to want to be a part of the body of Christ under the head who is Jesus Christ. And then we're going to want to be a part of his church and actively involved in serving him and encouraging one another, praying for one another, serving our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll want to care for those who are a part of the body of Christ. We're going to want to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I saw a a graphic illustration of it this week. I didn't see it. I saw a little bit of it, but I heard more about it. So our um, our son and, and his wife, a four-week-old baby who's been in the hospital for a week and a half, now home today, praise God. But very serious situation early, early in the week, uh, Monday uh, in the middle of the night, and it's scary. Um, throughout all of that, uh, because, uh, because Lydia was at home recovering uh, from delivering a baby just a few weeks before, they had meals planned for weeks for their family. My wife went down there uh, Monday real quick to take care of their toddler girl so that both mom and dad could be at the hospital 24-7 with the newborn, Sawyer. And um, every night, somebody from the church brought a meal to the home. Carolyn was there to receive the meal and feed, feed our granddaughter. Just, just prayed to meet somebody else from the church who cared, somebody else who was bringing a meal. Just, uh, they have a discipleship group in their church that, that our daughter-in-law is a part of. Their group came, made a 45-minute drive together, about uh, five or six, maybe eight people, uh, five or six or eight ladies together, went to the hospital and met in a waiting room so that, so that their sister in Christ could come join them for their Bible study that week. And Lydia came out and joined them in the, in the waiting area for a couple of hours together. Those ladies went out of their way to be the body of Christ, to a, to a member in their fellowship. If we believe that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and the church is the body of Christ, then we're going to want to be a part of the body of Christ. And we're going to want to participate. We may not always get it right. You may not always feel like it. Go against your feelings. Go to church. Be a part of the fellowship of the body of Christ. Serve alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for one another. Serve one another. And you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ as you do. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is our mediator, then we're going to want to grow in our faith as we wait on the Lord. And you will wait on the Lord at times, maybe more often than not. You will wait on the Lord, waiting for His will. Not that you're not doing anything. There are steps of obedience in your life you should be taking as you wait on the Lord and for His perfect timing. But you're going to want to wait on your mediator, the one who intercedes for you before the Father. You're also going to want to pray with faith, knowing that he's interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. You'll pray with faith. You'll be growing in your joy as you surrender to God the burdens of your heart and and wait on him to give you the perfect answers that he has in his perfect way and timing. And then... If we believe that all the Father has is the Son's, 
and all the Son has is the Father's, then we're going to want to live with confidence. If all that the Father has is the Son's, and all that the Son has is the Father's, that means you are secure. As you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are secure for all eternity. If you're secure for all of eternity, and you have that fact settled in your heart, you're going to want to live with confidence. In fact, you will be living with confidence as you rest in that settled truth, knowing that you're kept by God, secure for all eternity, with a wonderful message to share with the watching world, with the truth of your living Savior to share with people who need a Savior also. All of this we're going to want to share with each other. It's part of being a part of the church as we encourage each other with the truth. Pray for one another according to the truth. Speak the truth to one another. The truth of God's Word for, for our enrichment, our edification, for our upbuilding in Christ, our growing up in Christ. We're going to want to grow in our unity. We're not going to always insist we have it our way. We're going to want to get along with our brothers and sisters of Christ and proclaim truth together to the watching world, to the waiting world. We're going to want to live in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ as the body of Christ for the glory of God and for the good of His church. For the sake of the watching world around us who desperately needs the truth. So yes, the implications of the word believe are many. And they are all good. If you believe God's promises and you act on that belief and act on that faith, you will be blessed in your obedience by God. It is good to know the Father. It is good to know the Son. It's good to know God the Father and God the Son are one. And that is the desire of God that His followers also be united and one in their purpose. May we be instructed by that and challenged by that and encouraged by that.